church, we're going to start out by singing a couple songs just to focus our minds and our hearts on God. Uh, would you stand with us? And let's just start off in prayer. God, we invite you into our lives and into our hearts this morning. God, help us to be aware of you. God, help us to be open to you, working in our lives. In Jesus' name.
started I just want to kind of have a little family moment for us and you can go ahead and be seated I know that uh, you know sometimes life is not always the uh, as the Psalms often talks about the praise of God and the and the up moments of life there's an entire book that that we find in scripture called Lamentations there are times in our lives that we have those difficulties and we go through the shadow we walk through the valley of the shadow of death and this week, um, as many of you know, in our church family, our church family was touched by the, uh, the home going of little Connor Van Antwerp. Little Connor's three year old son to Patrick and Angie Van Antwerp. He runs around here, he likes to listen to the band uh, kind of finish warming up uh, before the service starts in between services. And, He's a little superhero that likes to run around in capes and Batman outfits. And last Sunday, he had a, a stroke and went to be with the Lord. We do not grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe in the power of the resurrection. That Jesus will one day come again. And when he said to his followers... 
on one of his very last days on this earth, he said, I go away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away to prepare a place for you, I will come back to take you to be with me so that you can be where I am also. For you know the way to the place where I am going. And today we just want to acknowledge that as we come into this space that many of you grieve. And it's not just little Connor. I know that that many of you have your own situations. You might, this, you might not know Connor, or you might not know Patrick and Angie. That might be a new family to you. You don't know them personally, but you have things going on in your life, in your family, and you have uh, equally difficult and devastating news. And today, I just want to acknowledge that in this space and to, and to let you know that God loves you and that God's here and God wants to help you and wrap His arms around you. And this week, I saw, you know, there are some people that, that would, that would write books and would, would say things. And basically, the, the kind of the bottom line summary is, the church sucks. It's kind of the way that they might summarize that. And today, I saw why it does not. Why it is the bride of Christ. And what it looks like when God's people come together. And when God's people, when one of us is hurting, how we come together and we love each other. And I just want to say, if you're one of those people that you do not have someone like they did, that in the middle of the night or the, the first thing in the morning, when, when they go to the hospital, they have... Now, a number of people that they could pick up the phone and call and say, will you come to be with me? That's the kind of church that we want to be. We want to be that for you if you will let us, if you'll open up your life just a little bit. And that's why we have sections. That's why we, we do what we do. We want to be that. Let us be that. And if we have failed at that, I am sorry as your pastor. We're not perfect and I'm not perfect and I mess up sometimes. So I'm sorry if we have not come around you like we needed to. But today we acknowledge that there's a family that's hurting. And I want to invite you to pray for them as you think about what might be in your own life, some other struggles that you're going through. And I want to remind you of the words of Jesus in John 16, verse 32, 33, when he said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation or trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Heavenly Father, God, today, as we just take a real moment and we take the mask off of what we say to people just most days, that everything's fine and everything's good. And Father, we acknowledge to you today that everything is not fine and everything is not good in our world. And God, we grieve with those who grieve. We mourn with those who mourn. And so God, today, I lift up this family. I thank you for that Van Antwerps. I thank you for what they mean to us. And I pray in Jesus' name that you would be with them, that you would comfort them, that you would come alongside them, that you would help them, that you would help us, God, to know in the weeks and the months to come how we can come alongside, how we can love them and help them and bless them. And God, we thank you that Connor is with you to be absent from this body, your word tells us, and that we believe and that we that we drive a stake in that in the sand and we believe without a shadow of a doubt to be absent from this body means to be present with you. And we thank you that you came to take him to be with you and we draw strength from that. We don't understand it. We struggle with it. But God, we accept it and we love you and we pray that you would help this family and God I know that there are other things that are very close to us and there's other brokenness I was talking to a guy just before this service and I know that there are so many others that whether you're on the other side of a screen screen sitting in a room somewhere by yourself and there's some stuff going on in your life but you're here today God loves you be encouraged today God I pray that you would pour your spirit out on this place wrap your arms around us and help 
us to remi- and remind us that, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because, God, you walk with us. Help us, God, today to process the difficulties of life as we choose to trust you through them. And we pray it in Jesus' name. I want to invite you to stand, stand together as the church, and let's sing these words together to just cling to the promises of God. Let's sing together.
said, amen. You can have a seat. Well, Easter is just around the corner, so why don't you check out this, uh, this quick video. Good morning, First Church, and welcome to The Pulse. I'm Ryan Klund, the communication director here. The Pulse is our newest way of letting you know what's going on here at First Church. You're probably already making plans for Easter, and we would love to have you join us on Easter Sunday. On the inside cover of the bulletin you received today when you came in, you'll find our service times for all of Holy Week. You have the opportunity to be baptized here at First Church on Easter Sunday. I was baptized here a few years ago to declare that I was a follower of Jesus. It was such an amazing experience. Easter is all about new life, and there's no better time to express your new life in Christ. If you want to be baptized, we have baptism informational meetings next weekend. So stop by the info hub today after service, or go to myfirstchurch.com backslash baptism. We hope you enjoyed watching The Pulse. We'll see you next time. Well, at this time, I want to invite our ushers forward uh, to get ready to take up the tithe offering for the morning. If this is your church home, I encourage you to give as an act of worship. Uh, if you're a visitor with us, a guest, uh, we're so glad you chose to worship with us. A uh, great way to contribute would just be to find your section leader after the service, and uh, they'll let you know what's going on in the life of the church and help you get connected if uh, that's something you're interested in. One thing I want to point out, we uh, are doing something special and interesting next week where we're going to each take a dollar bill and sort of see the power of giving in action. So next week, I know most of us don't carry cash, but bring at least one dollar bill. We're going to do a little experiment of giving and uh, it's going to be pretty neat. So remember, bring a dollar bill next week. Uh, let's pray together. God, again, we just pause and we choose to think about the blessings in our life. 
God, we know that all good things come from you, and so we cling to those this morning. We ask that you would be with us the rest of the morning and the rest of the week. Uh, but God, help us now to just open ourselves to you, open our hearts to you, learn about you, and uh, just draw closer to you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And, uh, little bumper video with some quotes. Oh, yeah. Can we just skip that? We'll we can right skip that, yeah. Don't, All right. don't play the video. Okay, let's go right into it. Thank you, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> we'll drop back and punt. Um, uh, so as, you, as, as we get started, uh, we're in week two of this uh, new series called Satisfied. Uh, and, in this, uh, and so I want to welcome everybody that's uh, joining us uh, this week by uh, our, in our internet campus. And I want to encourage those uh, folks, glad that you guys are joining us by our internet campus. And for all of us, that would be a great place if you have a friend maybe that uh, maybe is disconnected, doesn't have a church home, uh, maybe has a lot of questions about church and maybe might feel a little intimidated to come kind of just at your invitation, maybe here for the first time. Uh, I would encourage you to leverage the opportunity to invite them to check out the internet campus, maybe a, a starting point uh, to get connected. And then maybe uh, then maybe an invitation to come join you a little later on. So again, uh, that happens during live during the service. So that uh, internet campus is with us. Uh, and also, if you're out of town or, or whatever, traveling or on business or whatever, I encourage you to tune in uh, at 11 o'clock at this uh, hour online. You go on our website and you can check that out. So again, welcome to all of our uh, folks that are with us by, by internet. So we're in this series called uh, Satisfied, based on uh, the book that Jeff Mannion wrote. Um, and it kind of the little subtitle is Discovering Contentment in a World world of, of consumption. So if you don't have that book, I encourage you, you might, uh, might pick that book up. Uh, as we're kind of thinking about uh, this weekend, uh, last weekend, I gave, if you were here with us, I gave you a couple of assignments. How did that go? Two assignments that I gave you were to count every shirt and every pair of shoes that you have and come up with a little total. So before I had kind of given that to you, I had kind of done some kind of looking around, and I ended up, I took, uh, it kind of motivated me, I ended up taking, and I counted them, I don't want to tell you my other total, but I counted uh, these before I took them, I had 200 items that I donated to Mosaic as a result of my little uh, exercise along these lines, and so I won't ask, uh, ask anybody to give us your actual number, but hopefully that maybe just helped you to kind of uh, get in touch with kind of how you are in this idea of consumerism, and then and maybe you found a bunch of stuff that you buy but never wear or something, or maybe that, what's that tell you about, uh, about your own patterns or habits or whatever. The other assignment that I gave you was to, uh, to think about something that you have a value that you no longer use, but you could give or gift to someone. Uh, you know that something, whatever it is, maybe you haven't used for the last decade, and, but it has some value, and who maybe you could uh, give that thing, whatever it is, to, uh, to be a blessing and let the, maybe the rightful owner, if you've not used it in a decade or two, you might not be the rightful owner of whatever that item is. And so I actually had to get permission for the item I was thinking about. I was talking to a young family in the church, and they were talking about they, uh, their kids, they like to eat uh, homemade ice cream. Uh, I hate to make homemade ice cream. Uh, I would rather go downtown and let Kilwins uh, scoop it up for me and to have like someone like has like ice cream elbow from having such a hard time getting it out because it's so hard and that's the kind of ice cream I like not the stuff you can drink that's the normal again in my uh, experience back in the day when I was a kid and we had a homemade ice cream so anyway so I, we uh, 25 years ago when Chris and I were married uh, we got, for our, our, one of our wedding gifts, was a ice cream maker that we have used like one time. And it was really fun this week to find that ice cream maker and to give it to this uh, young family who likes with their kids to make 
homemade ice cream. So it's kind of fun. So hopefully you were able to do that because we were talking about how to kind of find some help in this world of consumption and the world of more, more, more for me, how we can kind of train our heart to practice this idea of, of generosity and to find contentment. And one of the things we felt that would be helpful would be the, a couple of these little exercises. So let's kind of move on. If you have your Bible with you, and turn, and if you didn't do those exercises, I encourage you maybe to catch up and do them this week. Uh, but we're in chapter 20 of Matthew. So if you have your Bible, turn with me uh, to that. And let me just kind of throw out a couple of definitions from Manion's book that we've been using. The first uh, is kind of just about contentment itself. Let me throw that up for you. Contentment is the discipline of being fully alive to God and to others, whatever our circumstances. Being fully alive to God and others, whatever our circumstances. So, so no matter what's going on in your life, that you can find some contentment, regardless of the, of the material circumstances you have. The second kind of part of that, he goes on to say, contentment is not achieved through getting everything we want, but by training the heart to experience full joy and deep peace, even when we don't have what we want. So when I'm living here and I have some desire to be there or to have something that's over there or whatever, but I am here that I can find contentment, deep peace, full joy here before I get there, even when I don't have fully all that I want. That's contentment. It's not easy. It's something we have to learn. And so again, we're training our hearts. We want the end goal to be like the Apostle Paul when he said in Philippians, the fourth chapter, the 11th verse, when the Apostle Paul said these words, not that I, am, that, that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. And that's my prayer for all of us, that we would learn the secret of contentment, that we would sit in the school of contentment over the next few weeks and we would learn from, from some great truth we find in God's word, how to find, in this world of consumption, how to find the satisfied life, how to find contentment. Now let me ha- just start out with just a word of confession. This week, uh, several of the staff and myself went to uh, North Carolina to uh, just a great church uh, in our country, uh, Elevation Church in North Carolina, pastored by a great pastor by the name of Stephen Furtick. And they had what was called Inside Elevation. And inside Elevation was just kind of a, a way for church leadership and staff to come in and just kind of see what's going on in this very effective church that's really reaching a lot of people, doing a lot of awesome things for God uh, in North Carolina. So we're able to kind of talk to staff and kind of hear what's going on. And so we all uh, got in the car and drove 11 hours to North Carolina to, for that experience. And we get there, and it is awesome. Ten years ago, 120 people started this church, and ten years later, they have close to 20,000 people on a weekend across 13 different campuses, and it's really cool to see people baptized and life change and hear those stories. It's really inspiring, and so we see that, and then, and then and Stephen gets up, and he starts preaching, and he's this awesome preacher, and he's hip, and he's cool, and he's young, and he's got this sweet beard, and I'm thinking, you know what, you know I, if I were just like Stephen, if I, if I had the skills that Stephen had, if I could speak like him, if I had the memory that he has, he doesn't even use notes, he's just like this awesome speaker. If I had his voice and if I could grow a beard like him, I mean, uh, he was, he was he, and he dresses so cool and I'm not that cool. And I'm thinking if I could just be like him. Now I kind of say that jokingly, except that there's some reality in that. 
And that's just being honest. And I think that that's really something that in a thousand different ways, in your own life, in my own life, in different ways, the thing that can destroy our contentment faster than anything is comparison. Jesus told a story along those lines. His disciples had been talking to him about, about you know, what are we going to get, Jesus? You know, we're following you. We're kind of leaving everything. Is there some benefit to this? Is there some reward to this? And, and he says, yeah, I'm going to bless you. And there's reward. And I'm going to take care of you guys. But then he said, and the last shall be first. And the first shall be last. And he told this story that we find in, in, and he said those things in the end of chapter 19. And then in chapter 20, he tells a story that is connected to that kind of exchange with his disciples. And in that story, he gets at the heart of comparison and how comparison can be the arch enemy of contentment. And so let's read this story and see what we can learn from Jesus in the school of contentment. He says this for the, in chapter 20, verse 1, For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he, and that was the kind of the wage that they were going to earn, he sent them into his vineyard. Now here's a, a picture of a vineyard. So you kind of get the idea of what it kind of looks like. In first century, you know, Palestine and Israel, they kind of did things a little different, so it's not exactly the same. But you kind of get the idea that the, the, the crops have come in, they're ready, and it's going to take a crew, a large crew, to get it all done, a little more than what maybe his, the kids and the family and maybe the servants that he would have. And so he needs some other help. And so in, in first century world, there was... Uh, um, uh, basically, it's kind of the, the first century uh, unemployment office was the marketplace or kind of the middle of town where day laborers would gather in hopes that someone would come and say, hey, I need your help for the day. And so that's what had gone on. There were some guys that, and the scripture says that they had come early. Now, does anybody have someone in their family or maybe they're related to, maybe you're sitting next to or just somebody that you know that your definition of early and their definition of early is different? Anybody have that kind of going on in your family? Yeah, you know, it's my uh, cameras probably can't pick this up, but my wife has her hand up really high uh, because our definitions of early are a little, are a little, are a little different. Yeah, before we were married, Crystal didn't realize that it was okay and legal to wake up before before the sun came up. She thought you had to stay in bed, to, uh, and it was illegal to get up before dark. So anyway, that's just kind of another sidebar that I'll move on and not talk anymore about. But. Uh, but these, just so you understand, 6 in the morning was kind of that, when it says early in the morning, their day, the 12-hour work day was kind of 6 in the morning to 6 at night was kind of, the, kind of the range. And so when it says that they came early, they were there at 6 a.m. and they agreed to, this, to this, uh, the wage. And so the, the owner of this vineyard comes and he said, okay, you guys work for me all day, I'll pay you a denarius. And denarius was the standard day Wage, And so if you were a, you were a worker, you were a, a soldier, a day laborer, that was the acceptable rate for a day laborer. So this was a really fair um, wage that they were going to get a denarius for their work. And so they go off, they're all excited, jazzed up, hey, we got work for the day. They're excited and grateful. And so they go and they go to the vineyard and they start to work at 6 a.m. 
Now the master of the vineyard decides, well, you know what, we're not getting enough done that I want to get done, and so he goes back, and he wants some more workers, and so at 9 o'clock, three hours later, he goes back, and sure enough, there's some guys, hadn't got there early like these other guys were, and so he hires them. There's another crew that came, some of Crystal's folk, that got there about noon, um, and they didn't have jobs either, and so, uh, so they, he says, why don't you guys come along, and so they start working at noon, and then at 3 o'clock, he goes back and gets some more, and then... And then at 5 p.m., one hour before it's quitting time, he goes back, and he goes back, and here's the slackers. Here's the ones that just kind of showed up, and yeah, I, I you know, really don't necessarily want to work, but I'm here. And so, and he says to that group, hey, if you guys uh, will work for me, I'll, I'll pay you something. And so he doesn't tell them what, but he says, won't you come? And so they come to work and work one hour they they hardly and these guys you know that first group they get there and the, the next groups are coming and the dews kind of uh, that had that had made the the it not so dusty that dew has burned off and the dust has has increased and the heat of the day and they've been working all day and they're sweaty and hot and you know their backs uh, breaking work and then these guys come they barely break a sweat this last group and it becomes and the end of the day comes and it's time it says then to pay them. And here's what it says in verse 8. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, verse 8, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, that's in the, the day, each of them received a denarius. And so what he basically says, okay, uh, I want you to line everybody up. I want you to, the very first people in line need to be the people that worked one hour, the people that came at the end of the day. And then from there, then the people that, that came at three, then the people that came at noon, then the people that came at nine, and then the people that got there at 6 a.m., they're at the back of the line, and I want you to begin to pay people. And so when he began to pay them, he gives that first group, that group that had worked one hour, he gives the denarius to them. A full day's wage. Imagine how excited you would have been if you had worked one hour of the full day's work and yet you got paid for an entire day. Imagine how excited you were if that was your group. If you were one of those people, how excited you would be. Now, I would submit to you that that wasn't the only people that excited and probably wasn't the most excited of anybody in the room because the, 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 the people that were the most excited weren't the people that were getting the denarius that only worked one hour. The people that really jazzed up and really stood up straight were the people in the back of the line that start doing the math on what that's going to look like when it comes to them and when they get paid because if these guys worked one hour and I worked 12 back-breaking hours in the heat, that's going to mean I'm not going to get just one denarius. I might get up to 12 denarius. Well, that first group gets paid. And then the group that, gets, that work, started work at 3 o'clock gets paid. And they get paid a denarius as well. And then the group that came at noon. And the group that came at 9. And every group is there paid that same wage. The thrill level, the excitement level of that group in the back. That had been working for 12 hours their excitement level goes down and down and down until there they are standing the last ones in line 
and the foreman, there's still hope in their heart that surely we worked all day and we're all sweaty and our back is breaking and, and we're all hot and streaked with sweat. Surely, 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 if, 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 it's, if, if things go like they should, we're going to get more. But yet then they get the denarius. And I want everybody to say it with me. What, are, what were they thinking? What do we think when we look at that situation? What's the, what's the kind of the summary of that? And they say it with me. That's not fair. It's not fair. And here's how they react. And now when they, in verse 10, and now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. The problem came when they compared what they had in their hand to what those other workers had in theirs. And even though they, they got exactly what they had agreed on, this was, he wasn't cheating them. What they had agreed at the very beginning of the day, at 6 o'clock in the morning, when the, when the master of the vineyard said, hey, if you work a full day, what do you think a wage should be? And they answer, well, how about a denarius? Like, all right, that's fair. Sure, I'll pay a denarius. And so they had agreed upon that. They had worked all day, knowing in their head at the end of the day, I'm going to get a denarius. And, and all day they've been thinking and then looking forward to that payment. And here's the key when it comes to comparison. The problem is not that we receive less than we think we deserve. The problem happens when someone near us receives more than we think they deserve. That's the destructive nature of comparison. The wounded voice of comparison demands, why them and not me? And I want you to notice the reply of the master in verse 13. But he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I chose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? And what's the unwritten answer that these guys that had worked 12 hours of back-breaking labor were saying? Absolutely it's not right. And look what he says at the end. Do you begrudge my generosity? Now there's a lot of great applications to that story. Jesus is talking to us as he tells that story about the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is kind of like this, he said. In, in this world that we live in, the kingdom, salvation, is kind of like a, it's kind of like a vineyard. And, and God's the, kind of the master and he invites us to come and, and toil in the vineyard and to live in this world. And he invites us into this relationship with him. And, and he's the one that determines, he's the master, determines the, the blessings, the rewards, who gets what and all that. This is his world. It, whatever he wants to do, it's all fair. And so he had that kind of, that kind of attitude that he's, or that kind of teaching that he's trying to teach them. And then there's some tremendous application for us as we think about this school of contentment that we're trying to, to work on in our lives. And at the end of the day, it was comparison that killed their contentment. That killed the blessing of the fair wage that they, that they had agreed upon at the beginning of the day. Comparison is the killer of our contentment. And it is the, it is the enemy that we all battle as we battle to find the satisfied, the contented life in our world.
the story that Mannion tells in his book of two little boys playing out in their backyard, and it's hot, it's the heat of summer, and there's two brothers, an older and a younger brother, and they're playing, having a great time, it's really super hot, and dad comes out, and he has two bowls and a, and a, and a carton of Moose Tracks ice cream. I never knew what Moose Tracks ice cream was until we moved to Michigan, and Moose Tracks ice cream, in case you don't know what Moose Tracks ice cream is, Moose Tracks ice cream is vanilla ice cream, and then you put some fudge in it, and then you put some chocolate or some uh, peanut butter cups and you swirl it all around it is a wonderful explosion of wonderful sugary goodness in your mouth it's just a a great thing uh does anybody know exactly why they call it moose tracks though i mean what do the little Reese cups represent anybody just kind of think about that for a second i'll leave that with you Hopefully you can move on with the rest of the illustration as you're thinking about that. But here we go. So there were two little boys, and, the, and, the, and, the, and they're standing there waiting for Dad to scoop out the ice cream. And he gets a big carton, and he takes out a big scoop and gives it to the, to the older son. Takes out a second scoop, gives it to the older son, and, and, then, and gives him the bowl. And he's, he is loving life. He's eating his bowl of ice cream while the dad takes the other bowl and begins to scoop up ice cream for the younger son. And he scoops up a scoop of ice cream, one scoop. He scoops up another scoop and scoops up a third scoop. Not really necessarily pay attention but he scoops up that third scoop and gives it to his son and in that moment when the younger son gets three scoops into the instead of those two scoops that the older son got there is a cosmic injustice that has just happened in that moment child and family child and protective services or whatever they're called we're on this older son's speed dial and he calls you know he's ready to call them up i am being mistreated the young, my younger brother got three scoops now he was fine absolutely fine loving life until his younger brother got three scoops and then it's not fair his world of contentment comes crashing to his to a halt when he looks at his brother's bowl and stops looking and, and gets his eyes off of the blessing that is in his own bowl. And that is the sinister effect of comparison in our lives. So what's the price that we pay? The price, real quick, three things. The first is it silences our gratitude. Now, let's rewind and go back. It's 530 in the morning. These guys, the first group, they'd gotten up early. They're, they're going to arrive because they want to be there before anybody else gets there. They want to be there before any of, the other vineyard, any of the vineyard owners, before any of the people that employ anybody. They want to be there. So when the first guy comes, they're going to be the first people hired. And they're excited to be there. They're anticipating getting hired. And so sure enough, the vineyard owner comes and they are so thankful that they get hired. And as they go off with him and thinking about, as they've, they've negotiated the price, they're grateful that he's not trying to undercut them. He's not saying, how about I'll, I'll pay you 75 cents on the dollar or half of what people normally get. He says, I'll give you a full day, what is normal. I'll give you the full wage, a whole denarius if you work for me for this day. And they were excited. They're grateful for that work. And they walk away with gratitude in their heart. And they're glad that as they think back and they think about the other people, as they kind of think about the other people that are just now arriving, some of Crystal's friends and people, as they're kind of getting there a little later in the day, you know, I'm glad that that I'm not with them. I'm I'm grateful that I I have this until what, what point? Until that point that everybody's getting paid. Until the point of comparison. And as they're standing there, and as that denarius is put into their hand, and as they look at that denarius, their gratitude was dead, and the executioner 
was comparison. Someone else had more in their bowl than they deserved. That was what they're saying. They have more in their bowl than they deserve and their contentment, their gratitude was destroyed in that moment. Everything was great until they looked in the other person's bowl. Comparison stole their gratitude. The second thing that we notice when we look at this, the price of comparison is that comparison inhibits our generosity. If you go back to what, the, what the, the master of the vineyard, what he said in verse 15, if you remember that, he said, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? And the answer to that is, absolutely I begrudge your generosity. I'm not liking your generosity because it's not directed to me. Comparison inhibits our generosity. The disgruntled workers weren't focusing on generosity they weren't i'm sure if they if, if they ran into somebody else that they were, would have had an opportunity to be generous towards they're not going to be generous because when we are are engaged in that game of comparison it destroys our generosity it's the natural casualty of comparison generosity is we're drawn to be generous when we look at our lives and we look at our bowl and when we focus on our bowl and we see the blessings and the abundance that, we, that is in our bowl and we focus on our own bowl, then it's easier to be generous. And we think about that in the life of the church. You think about that in our own giving, like financial, the way we support or give to the church. When we, when we see that our bowl and everything in it, every, every scoop that's been placed in our bowl comes from our, our Heavenly Father that loves us and blesses us and every good and perfect gift comes from Him. But when we begin to compare our bowl to other people's bowl, and we feel like we've been treated unfairly, it's hard for us to be generous. Be generous to God, and it's hard for us to be generous with our fellow, fellow humanity. When there's a lack of a sense of abundance in our lives. And then the third, real quick, price of comparison is that it has the potential to fracture our faith. If you go back to the vineyard owner, as he was negotiating their wage, think about those people, the, those ones that work that 12-hour day, and as they're negotiating the wage, and again, it was a fair wage, and they're excited about it, they're, they're grateful for it, they're, they're, they're thinking that he's being generous to them to, to give them what was, what was fair, and as they think about the, the, the master of the vineyard, and as they're working all day long, one hour, two hours, three hours, Six hours, nine hours, 12 hours, all day long thinking about how great it is to be able to, to, be, able to be employed by the master of this vineyard. They're so excited because he's, he's, he's uh, providing for them. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to keep the roof over my family's head. I'm going to be able to feed my family. I'm going to be able to put new tires on the chariot or get a new sundial or whatever in the world you saved up for in the first century. I don't know what it was, but I'm sure there were baubles and trinkets that they all got excited about just like we do in our new 4K whatever in the world uh, 50, 60 inch TV that we get excited about just like them. The comparison destroyed their faith in the owner of the vineyard. So no longer is he looked at as, as those denariuses are handed out, as they are standing there with that one denarius, as they compare what's in their bowl to everyone else's bowl, suddenly their attitude toward the master has changed. Instead of looking at their lives and being able to see the blessing that they had given, been given, now judgment comes. And the same thing happens and our faith is fractured in that way. When we look at other people's bowls as compared to ours, and we say, 
to ourselves, God is ripping us off. We say things and we think things. Why them and not me? I mean, I wanted that. I need that. Why are they being blessed like that? I need that. I would want that. I, I, that would be awesome if I had that. As we look at other people's bowls and we think, you know what? God's not fair. God doesn't love me. God, is there even a, is there even a God? Because things like this shouldn't happen. Why is this happening to me? And that can be fueled and fueled and fueled into doubt. And then at the end, our faith is fractured. Our faith in our God. It's a casualty of comparison as our contentment is destroyed. Now, let me just conclude today with just a couple things, two things that I would just offer up as advice as we try to purge comparison from our lives. Comparison really starts when we start listening to the voices in our head. Like the voice that says it's not fair. When we look at other people's bowls and as we begin to listen to that voice, it was the voice that, that as they are standing there with that one denarius, it was the voice that began to whisper in their head, it's not fair what you were given. Or the voice that whispers, why them and not you? That voice that, that whispers, why did they get blessed and not you? Why did they get the bonus? Why did they get the great news? Why did they get the new job? Why did they get the great looks? Why did they get the perfect hair and not you? The little voice that whispers, you deserve more. The little voice that whispers, you need to catch up. When we look on, when we look on Facebook and we see that, the, that our friends have the new this and the, the, the jet ski or the new wood floors or the, or the whatever and the new car or whatever and we look at their lives and we look at their perfect little existence and we think, why them and not me? I need to catch up is the thing that gets whispered. And let me just throw out that, that social media is the great enemy of contentment in our world. As we watch what appears to be perfect lives and perfect situations of those around us and it fuels this comparison as we compare our lives to theirs and it seems to come up short as we look at what seems perfect when we don't even know what's behind the scenes that are going on and so we're going to purge comparison then we need to make sure first thing that we're listening to the right voices and the right voices are the voices of the, the spirit of God whispering in our lives the voices of the, the word of God that is whispered in our lives as we read it and digest it the words that say that, 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 that God loves you that God cares for you that God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you that, that there is a lot in your bowl to be thankful for the, the, thing, the, the voices that whisper that, 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 that everything in this world is temporary that all the baubles and all the shiny little things that we have are going to pass away it's all going to be gone and that there's another world to come the voice that whispers the voice of Jesus when he said I'm coming again the voice the letter of the Thessalonians when the Easter sky is going to split and the trumpet call of God will go out and Jesus comes back to take him take his bride takes us home to be with him that's the voice that we need to listen to that is able to look beyond everybody's bowl and just focus on the blessings that we have been given. Listening to the right voice reminds us that we, and this is really important, that none of us, as we put our faith in Jesus, really get what we deserve. Let me say it again. The blessing that we know through Jesus Christ is that none of us are going to get what we deserve. You know what we deserve? We're sinners. 
And what we deserve because of that sin, what we deserve because of, our, because of what the choices that we've made in our lives to sin and, and be disconnected from God is that, that there is a judgment, there is a separation from God, and it is eternal, and it's a big deal, and it's coming. And we, if we put our faith in Christ, we will not get what we deserve because Jesus got what we deserve. When he was on a cross, he paid the debt of sin, my sin, your sin. And so at the very beginning, I said, you know, if you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, if you've been thinking about it, maybe you're new or whatever, today is your day. And I would encourage you to step across that line of faith and accept the gift that is not fair. You're not going to get what you deserve. You deserve judgment. You deserve separation from God because of your sin. What you're going to get if you put your faith in Christ is freedom, is, is mercy, is grace. Today's your day. The final kind of thing that I would say to us as we think about the price of comparison, how to purge comparison in our, out of our lives is real simple, would be just an encouragement to you today to count your blessings. So as our worship team comes back up, to count your blessings. What's in your bowl? Just to ask yourself this week, what's in your bowl? That's your assignment this week. It's just to look at your bowl. I don't want you to look at anybody else's bowl. I don't want you to compare your life to anybody else's. I just want you to look in your bowl. And so what's that look like? Maybe you get your, your iPad or your computer or your whatever, or your Evernote out, and you, make, you just make a list. I just want to encourage you to make a list or get your legal pad or your, or your notebook and just make a list of everything that's in your bowl. And you might maybe categorize it. Maybe here are the things that, here are some family kind of things I might list or relational kind of, relationship kind of stuff and, and the, and the blessing of what's in my bowl in relationships here's the maybe the blessings in my bowl materially that you might list here's the blessings in my in my bowl that are kind of spiritual that that God kind of kind of things that it might be in my in my bowl and and there's all kinds of things that you might list for me I might list like I live on a ravine and on any given day when I look out the this cool back window of my backyard I can see turkeys prancing across my backyard or or little raccoons doing crazy stuff out in the backyard I love that that's a blessing I could write that down I could write down that, that I love the mature trees in my yard. I love trees. And I love to see these mature trees. That's a blessing. And I look out and I hate to rake them, but I love the, 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 the trees and the leaves. Or I could, I could write down that, that my, when, when Caleb came home for spring break, that the, when he walked in our door, that, that when he saw his brother, that, that, that Caleb and Jacob gave a big bear hug, that I could not say a couple years ago that that would happen in our home. You guys are laughing. I'm trying to be serious. But that for me is one of the greatest blessings of my life right now in this stage of my life. And I don't know what's in your bowl, but I want to encourage you to focus on your bowl and to write it down and to celebrate it. Father God, as we conclude our time, God, it's real easy for us to begin to just look in other people's bowls and in other people's lives and to to doubt you and to doubt your mercy and your love and your care for us when we compare our bowl to other people's. And God, today, I pray that you would help us to purge comparison out of our lives and stop listening to the crazy little voices that say you're not getting what you deserve or it's not fair or whatever in the world the little voices say. I pray, God, today that we would be able to look at our bowl and to celebrate the fact that if we want that Jesus Christ is at the, in our bowl, that we can have eternal life, that we can have faith, that we can have Jesus, that we can be set free, that we can have mercy and grace and everything else is just the cherries and the whipped cream on top of that wonderful fact that all of us is available to us today. And God, this week, I pray you would help us to purge, destroy comparison out of our lives and celebrate what we have in you today in our lives. 
God, thank you, and I pray that you would help us to continue to learn in the school of contentment as we seek the satisfied life that only comes as we get connected up with you. Thank you, Father, we pray it in Jesus' name. talked about just some brokenness and whatever and I just wanted before we kind of finish that song I just want to have the privilege of praying for you if you're here today and you need you know, there's a kind of a broken state and you need those arms that are wide open and you need you need that presence of God in your life and maybe that's for salvation maybe that's just the brokenness and the some of the pain that you're experiencing through some tough stuff do you do you need that today we just raise your hand and I just want to pray for you do you need that today Father God, God, I thank you that you're in this space. You're that you're here with us. And God, these words are so powerful that remind us that you care about us, that you, your arms are wide open. And God, as we open up our lives to you, God, that you are ready to come rushing. I think of the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son, when the son who had been off in sin and, and messing up and doing his own thing and was far from you in the far country, and he realized his mistakes and decided he wanted to go home, but didn't know if, if, if he would be accepted by his, by his father. And then he, but, he, but he goes back and he thinks in his mind, well, I'll just go back and I'll, be a, I'll just be a servant in my, in my father's house and, and maybe, just maybe, he'll let me 
maybe a servant there, and he goes back, and he's, he's humble, and he's, and, he, and he's broken, and he comes, and when his, his father's been waiting, his father's been hoping that he'd come home, and some of us today are that son that's coming home, and the father's arms are open wide, but not only just open wide, but as the story goes, that he, he grabs his, he grabs his, his, his his cloak, his robe or whatever, and he runs to his son. He runs out even before he gets home, and that's Jesus. That's God wanting to invite us in. God, thank you for that, God. And so, God, as we raise a hand, as a, maybe a heart that's so broken, couldn't even raise a hand, that as we open our lives up, God, that that's what you're saying, that that's what you're doing, that that's the embrace that we're experiencing. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for wholeness. Thank you for the reminder that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that you walk with us. And God, as we continue to sing this song, God, I pray that you would help us to sense that you are here, that you're saving, you're blessing, you're helping. Thank you, Father. Let's continue to worship. Oh, what a Savior, isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah, Christ is No. 
And there are times and there are seasons that in our own lives, as Jesus said, in this world you have tribulation, you have trouble. And we come into this space and there's brokenness sometimes in this space. But, but, but we also need to have and be ready that when we are sent out, that we are ready to love and encourage and bless and be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And so this week, who's the family? Who's the person? Who's the individual? Who's the coworker? Who's the neighbor that God uniquely has positioned you? Somebody that I'm never going to be around that that Dan's never going to be around, that some of you, we don't, we don't have the same spheres of influence. And so how can we be aware and let the Spirit move so that we can be who we need to be in this world, so that we take this message that there is a Savior, that there's a hope that we have beyond this life, beyond this messed up, broken, dead-end existence of this world, that there is hope in the person of Jesus Christ. We have that message. And so this week, I just want to, to, to just commission you to go be the hands and the feet of Jesus and represent Him well. Because you don't know where God is going to place you to be that blessing. So may you go in peace and go in the knowledge that you go in the, in the power of the Spirit who is with you. God bless you as you go. Be the hands and the feet of Jesus. Be dismissed.